Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. It's hard to pin down Shannon McNally, my guest on this episode of Wheels Off. She's been putting out records for almost 20 years, um, but she was almost an anthropologist slash archaeologist. She is a guitar slinger, and she is a great singer, but she's a songwriter. You know, deeply personal stuff, like, you know, it's... A lot of times you get one thing from a person, and with Shannon, you get a lot. She's managed her own career for a, a number of years. She is um, she just uh, she's really cool. <laughs> Shannon McNally is really cool, and um, I think you're going to love this conversation. We, um, we spoke uh, virtually, of course, as, uh, as these have been now for well over a year because of the pandemic, which makes it tough, but it makes it easier. You know, I wasn't going to be able to fly down to Austin to sit in a room with her uh, this week. So it was nice to be able to speak to her. Um, the virtualness of it took its toll on the connection. At one point, we got cut off. Um, I think the producers will be able to patch it back together in a way that maybe you won't even notice. Um, every once in a while, the, you know, the, uh, the digital crackle makes itself annoying. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's bad. I think it's uh, everybody now is pretty used to the way these things work. Um, and it's worth it. Shannon McNally has got a lot of great insight. Um, she's got a really great I don't know, take on the world. And I'm so glad I got to sit down with her for this episode of Wheels Off. Please welcome Shannon McNally. Welcome to Wheels Off, Shannon McNally. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rhett Miller. Oh, this is so cool. Um, for the edification of our listeners, from where are you joining us? I am in Austin, Texas right now. Nice. In a beautiful yellow room. Yes, in the yellow room. And also, this will be primarily consumed via audio, or maybe only consumed via audio. But I should point out that you have an incredible turquoise ring. Or is that lapis? What is that? It is turquoise. It is turquoise. Yes. Really great. My uh, favorite jewelry. <laughs> um, so I know I've caught you on a day that obviously has got a little bit of being at home family stuff, but also work. Um, I wonder what creative project are you working on right now and how is it lighting you up? Well, um, I was just out in Marfa, Texas with Terry Allen and the Panhandle Mystery Band, which is a, another project that uh, of mine. And uh, we get together, you know, we couldn't obviously do it over the, pan uh, uh, over the uh, pandemic, 
but uh, we um, we generally get together like twice a year. We hole up at the Marfa Theater at St. George Hotel in Marfa and uh, write, um, which, you know, Terry's just the, he sort of spearheads it. And then uh, there's, a, and then great people came in this year. I was uh, Bucca Allen and, and um, Joe Harvey, Allen, uh, John Doe, and Charlie Sexton. So it was really, really nice. And then we were writing and simultaneously, so, you know, most times you write, you, somebody hits a little voice memo and you record what you've done, you know, but we, we recorded right on the spot, we multi-track right on the spot. So the songs were written and recorded, you know, one a day. God, I love um, that. It, it was, it was pretty impressive actually after we did six songs this time. So it was like a pow, you know, and it's not like it's, it's a, it's a real collaborative process. It's, it's, it's not as goofy is co-writing you know because there's like all these really great people just going okay we're gonna write we're gonna finish the song and it's gonna be great so no you know no weird writing demos no weird like well we'll finish it sometime we, we don't we're not gonna finish it sometime we'll finish it right now. <laughs> you know? It's funny. So, so you you're speaking in a little bit of a shorthand to me because you know you know that I know that vibe of being on Music Row or wherever in a dumb office with somebody that maybe you just met and you're put together yeah. by a publisher. It's right. a weird. It's a really weird thing. You we must it's have done really that. Weird thing. Yeah, I, I try not to do too much of it. I find it kind of creepy. Um, you know, I mean, I I've I did it. I've tried it off and on for years. Um, songwriter carousel and stuff like that you know uh but uh my friend steve Earl says about co-writing it, it's it's like sex it shouldn't be done in public it's just, <laughs> it, you know it's weird you know it's yeah. weird and so but this is a little bit different because these are people i know really well and we all have great chemistry it's a band it's it's a band it's my band so i love okay. it yeah and you got Charlie Sexton there who can make things sound good. I mean, actually, pretty much everybody there can make things sound Everybody's good. Everybody's kind of amazing. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, with something like that, did you, I, I, I will try not to ask you too many questions about that specific um, uh, uh, event experience because, like, I, that sounds fascinating to me. I love the idea of uh, on the spot collaboration like that for you did you bring in like a, a notebook filled with uh ideas did you have partially finished songs um what what did you show up with or did you really start blank slate you know um well i would say half the songs somebody will pitch an idea somebody will just have the tiniest start or a verse or a line um but we did pretty cold cold start for most of them um and it just is it's a very organic group and they're they're all really great they're super creative bunch you know because terry's not just a songwriter he's also a he's also a, a a world-class visual artist you know like a serious 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 artist sculptor painter draws he, and Joe Harvey, they write plays. I mean, like, they're incredible. Um, so just a highly creative, highly uh, 
um, just a highly creative group. So we started cold with a lot of it, you know, and uh, it's really like volleyball. We were joking. It's like volleyball. It's just like keep the ball in the air and, and you know, just like this from one person to the other person sitting in the, sitting in the round, you know, yeah. and uh, and it is very egoless. Nobody says no. No. I mean, we think of this particular so- collaborative process it's like volleyball you know yeah, just yeah. keep keep the ball in the air yeah. and keep it moving and and it's just a fun group and everybody everybody's ideas are great so you can follow any one of them and it's safe you know there's nice. no so so it's really it's really fun i've never written in a band's uh setting like that so so that's it's i guess it's really fresh to me because I've, I've never done that it, that's something that comes up a lot in these conversations is the idea, especially when I talk to musicians, um, is the idea of collaboration being such a thing that drew us to this, you know, like the community of people who are supporting each other yeah. and excited about each other's ideas. And it's funny because you've had a lot of experience as probably a pretty self-driven solo artist, the boss. Yeah. So yeah. now part of a larger thing's got to be weird. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's, uh, I've done a lot of collaboration on, but never quite like this, never like a band. Um, I've done one-on-one, you know, um, so, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I love it. I, I've always wanted to be a band. I just never could pull it off. You know, it just never happened. It's like, it's, you know, so I always wanted to be in a band. That to me is like the whole point of it, you know, but since it never really manifested, uh, I, I have bands, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I can't, I can't think of anything more fun than a five piece band you know, or six piece band. So when when you were, um, it's been, by the way, it's been super fun to watch your career over the years. I, I, I love seeing when people like evolve and, and do, do different stuff and challenge themselves. And I feel like that's been a hallmark of what you've done. Um, I wonder about when you were starting out, when you're saying like when you were first visualizing what you were going to do, thinking about being in a band, was, was this always the thing? Do you always remember knowing it was going to be music? Do you remember the moment at which you, was there an epiphany moment where you knew it was, this was it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. There was an epiphany moment. I mean, I started, I really sort of tuned in around 12 when I got my first guitar and um, I was really into blues. I was really into guitar players, lead guitar players, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and um, arena rock at the time. You know? And um, I saw Tom Petty and Heartbreakers when I was 15 at NASA Coliseum. And, uh, and I had that epiphany moment, like that complete shopper opening where you, you know, you're not sure if you peed your pants or not. You're just, <laughs> oh, you know? And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to be that guy right there. Not the drummer, not the bass player, none of that. No, that guy right there. And uh, you know, um, I was in school. I was, you know, I was in. I was, I was fairly academic. I was fairly academia bound, um, but the music kind of kept interrupting that. So, and then I got signed. You know, then I had this pivotal moment where it was like. Uh, either I was going to go on, I was an anthropology, archaeology major, and I was going to either go dig after right after college or I was going to go to L.A. because you know, 
And because I met Los Lobos, and I was like, ah, I want to go to LA. <laughs> so I want to like be down in, in like a cave in France with a toothbrush all summer. <laughs> <laughs> Or do I want to go see Los Lobos on the pier? I'll go see Lobos. Is there an overlap in the Venn diagram between um, anthropology, specifically maybe archaeology, but anthropology and songwriting? Do you think there's the study of human life, emotions, whatever? Completely. I mean, really, um, uh, you know, anthropology is is um, all observation and writing and theory, you know, theoretical writing um applied anthropology um applied anthropology you is the reason i left anthropology is because i felt like a lot of the applied anthropology was to exploit people you know it was like you get hired by an oil company or you get hired by a mining company or, or whoever you know um so that you and then you become the the middleman between the community and you know you you sort of translate the cultural how 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 is this other entity going to pimp this cultural situation so i kind of lost interest in it um because i didn't like the applied i didn't like a lot of the applications of it not that i loved the subject matter but i didn't like the applications of it and songwriting really is the same thing it's all you know observing and it's all it's all ethnography it's all observing somebody or yourself and or and then seeing how do i fit into this cultural group do i not fit into this cultural group it's just observation and writing so um you know and then but it's just on a you know, everybody specializes. So, you know, not, you don't know the whole world. You specialize on one little teeny, tiny, tiny, tiny aspect. Um, one little group of people or one, you know, whatever. Um, so, yeah, it all ties back to songwriting because it's all observation. If you had wound up uh, in an applied anthropology field, what do you think your specialty would have been? What group? Um, I was particularly fascinated with uh, the Andes, with with high altitude uh, in South America, um, mountain life, life over 10,000 feet and childbirth, child rearing. You know, it's really different. You can't give birth over 10,000 feet. Um, but just the, uh, the way and the way that uh, the, sh- the, pe- the shape of your body. Um, is is decided by where your ancestors came from. You know that was that was pretty interesting to me. You know, God, I was really I was really a religious anthropology major, um, but I was sort of fascinated, and I was mostly fascinated with the New World, but I was also fascinated with how uh, your environment sh- literally shapes your body. That, that's pretty incredible. I I mean I. Obviously, I know a lot of musicians, but I don't know anybody from that background. That's fantastic. Yeah, I was a, I was a nerd. You know? <laughs> did um did you have anybody in your life that was particularly upset when you decided to throw all that away and go into rock and roll? No, I mean, I think my family. There were no musicians or artists in my family. Um, they were all very sort of working class, you know, Long Island, New York City, um, old New York City. Um, um, and they all worked. They all worked from the time they were fourteen or fifteen years old. 
people, they worked for their whole lives. They started working and smoking at the same time and they did it until they died, you know. Um, <laughs> but my folks, neither one of my folks went to college and they were both excited for me to go, uh, you know, and they they were the first in there on either side to sort of make any money in the 80s. And, and um, so they were able to put me through college and, and I went to a real good school. And, um, uh, but I was the first, you know, and so and it was kind of a shock to me, too. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I want to go to law school and I don't want to go to medical school. I, I don't think I want to go to grad school. And in anthropology, if you don't go to grad school, it's, it's, it's you know, it's not. It's not a thing. You got to go to grad school. So, um, <laughs> and the music just kind of took over. And when I graduated, they were like, you're going to do what? Like, how? And I said, well, I don't know. You know, I really don't know. I have no idea how you do this, uh, but it keeps calling me. So they were supportive though. They were, they were excited that it wasn't, you know, that I wasn't going to, you know, go be a, you know, a regular job, you know, cause, uh, they, they were all, my, my folks were all self-employed. Um, you know, they weren't rich people, but they were all self-employed and they were creative and they were, they were, you know, kind of scrappy. So I figured they did, they weren't too worried. They were a little worried, but they weren't too worried. And they thought I was good at what I did. They didn't know where songs came from. So they were amazed that you could write songs anyway. You know, like, how do you do that? <laughs> I don't this happens. <laughs> I just made it up. <laughs> It is kind of amazing, though. It's a little bit like magic. It's there's nothing and then there's something. Yeah. Oh, it's complete magic. It's complete magic. I think, you know, when it's good, it's magic. You know, you know when it's magic. That's sweet. So you, you seem like somebody who um, just, you know, as an outside observer, you seem like somebody who's always been pretty comfortable in your own skin and self-confident and you have an idea where you're going. And um, but I pretty much everybody I've ever spoken to in, in about this stuff deals with, um, you know, um, self-generated obstacles, you know, interior stuff that, you know, voices in your head, uh, imposter syndrome, um, the kind of things that they, that want to keep us from creating. And I just wonder what you have figured out to deal with those kind of internally generated obstacles. That's an interesting question. Um, I would say that in turn, for me, the hardest part has been my guitar, has been my instrument, I think, because when I started playing guitar, you know, it was the mid 80s. I was 12 years old. Bonnie Raitt and Hart were about it. You know, Joni Mitchell, you didn't see women guitar players um, and you didn't see women rock guitar players uh, or blues guitar players. It was very, you know, there's no escaping how phallic the guitar is. It's just you know, I mean, the Stones and the Who and Pink Floyd and Jimi Hendrix and Led Zeppelin. I mean, it's it's an extension of them, of their bodies. <clears throat> and I think that was always a little embarrassing to me, maybe um, that like, but I was so fascinated with the guitar and I kind of couldn't help but want to play it. But I, so there might have been I think there's always been a little bit of a, I, I, of a block there. Um, as much as I've tried to uh, get past it, and I have at times, you know, um, but I think that I have an unreasonable standard. I, ha I have an unreasonable standard for guitar playing. I really do. And it's, and I'll never, uh, I don't know that I'll ever really meet it, 
And so that's probably it. I'm never going to be Jimmy Page. And that's always going to bother me. (laughs) (laughs) That's a pretty high standard. That's never going to stop bothering me. I'm never going to be Dwayne Allman. And that's never going to stop bothering me. Um, And although I think that at times I have channeled that kind of, um, I I can get close to that. Dom, that dominant feeling. I just don't know that. I I don't know that gets in the way. Of, it it doesn't always it doesn't always make the whole process. You know, I'm always fascinated with people who are just those open wires. You know, who can just channel straight from the other side. And uh, so I probably have unreasonable expectations of myself. Ah, oh, that's fascinating. I didn't I didn't expect that it would be that that sort of. <laughs> self-criticism but i wonder right like those people that make it look so easy you know um i don't know gary clark in in austin right you see that guy and he's just does it you know and um or whoever i i just i wonder do they they must have voices in their head as well i mean i i know gary yeah yeah i mean you know rockwell wouldn't be laden with with drug addiction if if not you know, everybody has, everybody's got some voice, everybody's got something they're chasing. And, you know, and I think that at some point you just make peace with that and you learn to live with it and you still carry on. I mean, I, I still, you know, I know when I had a good show and I know when I connected with the audience and I know when, when I, I wrote something really good. Um, and I also, at some point I stopped doubting, you know, I stopped listening to my own thoughts. I, I, I've learned that I am not my thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. Everybody's got, you know, 70,000 thoughts a day. Most of them are negative. Very few of them are different or new or original. And um, you got to stop listening to them. You have to step aside and observe them. It's all anthropology. You just have to observe, you have to observe them or you're a slave to them. So, you know, I, I don't think I'm naturally, um, I don't like to be a slave to myself or to anybody else. And uh, that's why I play music. But that's also why, um, you know, you, and then you have those moments where you get those gigs that like, you got that gig. Your record collection didn't, your mind, you know, who you think you are, I didn't want, you know, you got that gig. And, um, and then you're out there and you're doing it and you don't, and I always, when I get like really a really good gig or like, a, you know, I go out and open for somebody who I really love and admire, or I, you know, make a record with Dr. John or somebody like that. I just, I, uh, I'm confident that I don't have the right to then question that they make the right decision. They made the decision to take me out there or to do this with me. And therefore I'm going to trust them because I've been trusting them for a long time. You know, I've been reacting to their music and then their decision-making process. And then their decision-making process includes me tonight and I'm on the stage with them. So I'm not in a position to second guess that. And I trust that. Oh my God. I love that. That's so funny because it comes up a lot in this, the idea that the way past the the these voices the negative voices or whatever is to step aside and watch them right but usually when when it comes up um it's talked about in terms of uh like 
meditation, right? Where you let the voices come and happen and then they go away. But for you to talk about it in terms of like, you know, anthropological remove and um, like empirical evidence, like Dr. John, like he's empirically proven himself to be trustworthy. You're going to use his judgment and, you know, like that kind of stuff. That's fantastic. I mean, not all subjects, but when it comes to music, yeah, I trust Dr. John. <laughs> <laughs> There's things I would not trust Dr. John with, but music is not one of them. Music, right, I trust you. Maybe not Whatever babe, you say. Baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Um, all right. So momentarily, I'm going to ask you to distill this wisdom like you've been sharing with us. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to, uh, we'll step aside and hear a word from our sponsors in three, two, one. And we're back. So I'm wondering, Shannon McNally, our guest on Wheels Off, um, I'm wondering if you were to meet a 21-year-old version of yourself yeah. in, in today's messed up world. What advice might you give yourself? Well, I would say that's funny. That's that's hard. Um, I would say uh, I hope you like to drive. You know, like go go drive, go driving. Make sure you have a driver's license. I would say turn off, and I would. I would get off social media for a year and um, don't, don't look at social media for a year or two. 21, you're really young and you have a lot of time in front of you, you know, and um, I would say drive around the country, turn off social media, you know, write your songs, do some other stuff. Um, because, you know, your songs are interesting because of who you are and, and what you've done. Um, and if you go straight to like, you know, the co-writing thing and, or you go straight to, you know, you can't mine, you got nothing to mine. I mean, maybe you do, maybe you had a really rich, you know, emotional landscape in, in childhood and your songs are pretty good, but I just think that there's so much coming at everybody um, and it's distracting and it's, it's, um, and you always, it's, it's not, I don't think it's healthy. I think social media, you need to, you, you know, all of our, all of my favorite songwriters are my favorite songwriters because they had, they didn't, they didn't have to one come up with content all day, every day. They didn't, Think about this thing, you know, Towns Van Zant did not care about anything but writing a good song and then serving that song. He did it for the sake of the song. And, you know, that's the same guy Clark. It's the same of all of, you know, it's just like I can look back at that generation of previous generation, all, gen all previous generations, none of them had to deal with social media. And that's where you see the shift in the, I think, in the quality of the writing and the quality of the production. Everybody's in such a hurry. Everybody's got everything compartmentalized. Everybody's got all this noise in their head, all this stuff that they're constantly reacting to. Turn it off. I would turn it off and keep it off for a while and go live, you know, live some life. And um, I don't know. Enjoy it, you know. Enjoy it. Really enjoy your life. Go see, you know, 
find good live music. And when you find something that really rocks your boat live or, you know, for me, it's about live. To me, for me, it's like everything I write, everything I do, is this going to work? Is it, how do, do I, he- I hear it live in my head when it's happening, when I'm writing it, when I'm recording it, I, you know, it all, I don't compartmentalize this. This is just fun writing. This is fun recording. This is fun live. To me, the end result is also always, I want to, I want to perform this. I want to do this. Um, and I want to be around those people who really inspire me. You know, who we like seek them out. You know, I mean, I, I've sought out everybody I ever really truly admired, and just standing next to them is informative. You know, just you don't even have to have anything clever to say or whatever. Just meeting them. You know, you know, people say don't meet your heroes, but um, they you know don't invest too much in it, but meet them you know <laughs> meet them seek them out don't be a jerk don't be an asshole no one to go away but meet them you know if that's who you think you're you know if you're drawn to that i would say go to the things you're truly drawn to but avoid social media if i was 21 right now i'd say get off social media who knows who cares what you know it's going to change a thousand times between now and when you need to figure out how to do it so I don't know. I think social media is going to wear itself out to some degree. I just, I, I don't, people, it's almost painful. You know, it gets painful. And uh, I think it's too much on the brain and it's not serving the music because it's confusing. So my 21-year-old self, long story short, I would say get off social media and and um, seek out seek out the people that really inspire you and at least stand in the same room with them or meet them or you know don't be crazy about it but don't be weird um <laughs> but you know get in there and breathe the same air they're breathing for a minute or two it's it's funny to that point how when you meet those folks that you in your mind build them up to be bigger than life or magic or you know superhuman that's one of the best things, right? Is that you realize they are human beings and it makes it seem like it's more possible for you to do something like that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I think humanizing your, your heroes is, is really important and not being mad at them for, you know, being whatever they are, you know, if they lived long enough and they did, it's, it's just not an easy existence, you know, and whether they did it, you know, whether they did it at the, upper echelons of, of success and rock and roll mania and, and crazy, you know, you know, jets all over the place and pounds of coke and kilos of cocaine and bad behavior and, you know, insanity, or they were real humble or whatever, however they were, um, you know, uh, take, observe it, take that part of it for yourself that you like. But you can sift through it, you know. They did you the big favor of um, you can live vicariously a little bit through them. You don't have to do all the stupid shit they <laughs> to come out on the other side. <laughs> and I love that you're it, right there in your advice. Such a big part of it is get out there and experience. And when you were right around that same age, forced with the decision between going into the bottom of a hole in France and dusting off antiquities versus going to LA with Los Lobos or whatever, you made the choice to live life and experience. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, Neanderthal bones in the South of France, that 
that probably would have led to interesting things. But <laughs> when it came down to it, um, you know, when it came down to it, I, 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 I'm addicted to the, that the way of an amplifier just hums at you when it's real loud and when it's, you know, I, I chase that God. That's all. Yeah. There's a Bowie quote that I come back to that was some interview in Rolling Stone around 2001, 2002. And David Bowie, they asked him, now that the music industry is collapsing and there's not going to be any money left, do you think that people will still still do it? And he said, I think it's great. I think that the people who are in it for the money will leave and the people who have no choice will be the ones left doing it. And that's what you make me think of, you deciding to chase this wild dream. Yeah, I mean, I remember hearing all that. You know, I was on Capitol Records um, when they were really trying to sell it and get rid of it, and and, and uh, Napster had just come along, and every and, and it was like, and they were all just hysterical, you know, but beside themselves, and it's the end of the music industry, and it's this and it's that, and it was like rats jumping off the Titanic, and you know, I mean it's not the music business didn't really start that long ago it's not that old it only started i mean a bill graham didn't you know the fillmore west was really like the first you know warner brothers signing the grateful dead and the fillmore west that was it that was the beginning you know that was the beginning of the way we know it now and that's only what 66 65 whatever that was you know i mean <laughs> not that long ago so this idea that it's not going to shift and change um, and, you know, kind of make itself obscure for a while, you know, it, it, it's, a, it's a self-indulgent, it's very self-indulgent. You know, it's, it's not, it wasn't maintainable the way it was, um, the way it started out initially. And that's why it killed so many people. That's why there were so many rock and roll casualties. You know? Yeah. But but yeah, you know, I think the people who have to do it are always going to do it, and they're always going to, you know, and and um, and God bless them. That's 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 really all you want to hear. Those are the only people you really want to hear make music because the rest of it's just noise, cluttering up the, the you know frequency waves. It's like shut up, you know, just man. Well, I'm hey. <laughs> I'm really glad that you uh, got called to do this thing. And I'm really grateful that you sat down and carved out a chunk of your day today to speak with me. Thank you so much, Shannon, for being on Wheels Off. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also... As the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Yes, we're out there, everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together, we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. 
Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!